When I was a kid, I wanted to work in the world of finance when I grew up. Now I'm the co-founder of Boz Bites, a brand aiming to modernize and bring Persian food to the mainstream market. I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Jordan Ellist. Jordan graduated from the University of Southern California in 2017 with a major in business administration and a minor in international relations. He began his career with J.P. Morgan's Technology Equity Capital Markets team, working on the initial public offerings of companies including Dropbox and DocuSign. He then signed Halotop's international, oh, excuse me, he then joined Halotop's international strategy team, helping the company launch into over 20 countries. As the co-founder and CEO of Bozbytes, he's currently on a mission to introduce Persian cuisine to the mainstream market, one crispy basmati rice taddy cup at a time. Welcome to the pod, Jordan. Thank you for having me, Ben. Excited to be here. So we always begin with a round of current curiosities, something that's recently sparked your curiosity. For me, I just finished this book called Hungry by Jeff Gordonier, or Gordonier, I don't know how to actually <laughs> pronounce his last name. He's a writer for the New York Times. He's a food writer for the New York Times, and he recently wrote this book about Chef Rene Redzepi, who many people might know from being the chef at Noma, which is considered, quote, the best restaurant in the world. It's in Copenhagen. And Rene Redzepi is this interesting character who literally forages in local forests for the ingredients that he uses in his dishes. So it's not uncommon to find a dish, for example, that's sprinkled with ants on the top, like as though it's salt. And he has all these quirky little concoctions. And Jeff actually kind of followed him as Rene went to set up post in Mexico. And that was new territory for Rene. So it was really cool to see this kind of mad scientist in a new domain and try to figure things out. And he's just such an interesting figure because he's really looking to go outside the box to the point where I don't know if I want to try the food personally. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want something that had, you know, ants sprinkled on it, but I just admire how he is willing to try new things. Yeah. And he does this thing with his staff called Saturday Night Projects, mm. where after the restaurant closes on Saturday night, all the staff comes into the kitchen, huddles around and not one by one, but I guess whoever has something to share with the team will share a dish that they've been working on. Hmm. So it's kind of like not only are they cooking full time during the day, but their side hustle is coming up with a cool dish yeah. to show. And it's not even for the sake of getting anything, anything on the menu. It's purely for the creative fulfillment. And a lot of times Renee will say, this is amazing and it won't necessarily go on the menu, but that chef knows that they did a good job yeah. and to work under such tough conditions and for such a tough boss, they appear to be very gratified whenever it, it succeeds. And even if it doesn't succeed, it's still cool. It's like they're a little laboratory with, you know, a chef from the best restaurant in the world 
guiding them and sharing thoughts. I'll have to get an invite to one of those Saturday tastings. Yeah. And uh, I highly, highly recommend the book. It's like a 200, 220 page book. It was a really cool read. And for those that aren't big on reading, you can watch the Anthony Bourdain episode, the, uh, the parts unknown episode of when he's in Copenhagen. I forgot which season, which episode exactly, but it's the Copenhagen episode. What is your current curiosity? So one thing that I have been trying to do less of is look at my phone every time it buzzes when I get a text notification or message notification. And something that I've started realizing that's been happening to me, I'm not sure if this has ever happened to you, is I feel as though my phone vibrates in my pocket, but I then take out my phone and see no notifications. That happens all the time. So it's as though I'm kind of imagining as though I've received a notification and it's kind of getting to the point where technology more and more is penetrating every aspect of our lives. Um, I think the average person checks their phone once every 12 minutes now and they start feeling a tremendous sense of anxiety when their phone dies or maybe they left their phone on their desk before going to the restroom it's just this constant desire and need to be tied to your phone at all times. And it's funny that even now, meditation apps are apps. <laughs> right, uh, it's counterintuitive. <laughs> when you're trying to focus on wellness and calmness, it's your phone that you need to use as the method of doing that. And oftentimes you get a text during that process, which completely destroys your mojo of, being in that moment so whether it's figuring out get going back to the old school alarm in which i don't really have to use my phone to start like an alarm off my clock? day yeah oh wow an alarm clock um i've thought about doing that but i haven't made the leap yet yeah have you you've purchased one i have not yet okay i can't believe it's a leap but i guess it is we yeah. live in a day and age where we can't imagine having anything other than our cell phones serve as our alarm clock. Um, but the entire concept of, in addition to screen time and technology, despite the understanding from many people that it leads to social anxiety, the fact that it leads to emotional distress, the fact that it takes away from time that could have been dedicated to wellness and mindfulness, despite all of those factors, there's still a constant desire to constantly check that phone. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about an addiction to technology and little things that you can really do to get back to the roots of who we are as a society, whether that's leaving your phone in the car when you go out to dinner with friends or putting it on airplane mode a couple days a week or sorry, a couple hours a day, God forbid a couple <laughs> days a week. <laughs> um, or as you do, maybe deleting the Instagram app during working hours, for example. That has been huge for me. Deleting the Instagram app because we both took the step of turning off push notifications and that was a good first step. Right. But I found that if I delete the app, it slowly started taking away that reflex I had mm -hmm. of because you have that muscle memory with apps that you use frequently of like exactly where your finger should reach for right. and push. 
And so once you take that away, like after a few times of failing to do that and you realize, oh, okay, I don't have the app. I don't have time right now to download it. Let me just keep going on with my day. Exactly. And so I think there's a balance. Like the balance I found was during a lunch break, I download it. I see if anybody DM'd me. I check if my friends have been up to anything. And usually I can get caught up on anything that's happened in the past 24 hours within five minutes. Right. So that has been really helpful. So I, I've gotten a lot of value from just pretty much deleting the app and then opening it during a lunch break and or maybe after work. Mm-hmm. And that's been enough for me to feel, I still feel connected, but I don't feel like it's debilitating. Yeah. 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 It's time we got back to our roots. Yeah. Digital minimalism. That exactly. is that is it. Yeah. Yes. I'm all about I it. I like the idea. All right. We'll dive into the interview now. Awesome. Do you remember what that first Taddy Cup looked like and tasted like? Uh, yes. So the initial idea for what I had as a Boz Bite was quite different uh, than what it ultimately has ended up transforming into. Initially, we just thought of having the rice cup be literally a cup which didn't have much of a rice inner filling to it but the durability of that product just consistently did not meet our standards and that's when we spent additional hours and days in the kitchen reformulating the process of making a boss bite so you've been in the kitchen for how long now it's been over a year now right we launched at the first farmer's market that we entered into, the Brentwood Farmer's Market here in Los Angeles back in October 2018. That was uh, Boz Bites' first introduction to the public. And before that, it was an idea that had been percolating for a while. Do you remember around when the idea originally came to you to take this dish that we grew up with having at Shabbat dinners and, and take it to its current form? Yeah, so after my time at USC, um, I definitely had this idea of wanting to somehow modernize and introduce Persian food to the mainstream market. I realized that other ethnic cuisines, whether it was Indian, Mexican, or Thai food, they had all really penetrated the mainstream market in the form of grocery stores, farmers markets, food festivals, But for some reason or another, Persian food hadn't gained the same sort of mainstream notoriety as those other cuisines. So it was an idea that I had in the back of my head, but one that I kind of pushed away as the pressures of entering the corporate world came upon me. I felt more and more of a need to go down the route of having a traditional, steady, consistent job um, after my time at USC. And that's when I decided to enter the world of investment banking. But this was always an idea that stayed in the back of my head and one that continued to nag at me during my time throughout JP Morgan. So you were at JP Morgan right after USC. And then at around the one year mark, if I'm correct, you moved back to LA. You were working in San Francisco for JP Morgan. You moved back to LA and you were originally planning to work on Bosbites full time. In the process, I remember you reached out to frozen food companies, people who worked at frozen food companies, just to get advice. And something cool came out of it, right? Yeah, that's right. So when I decided to ultimately make the jump from the investment banking world to launching Boz Bites, I realized that I had absolutely no experience in either the frozen food space or the process of 
launching and introducing a new food product to the market. So I thought, why not reach out to other entrepreneurs who had gone through the process, learn from their insights, their ups and downs, and what I can really leverage to make this process as successful as possible. So began the process of reaching out to random individuals on LinkedIn from companies that I had truly admired in the world of consumer packaged goods. One such company was Halo Top, which had done an absolutely phenomenal job of penetrating and disrupting the entire ice cream market, becoming one of the best-selling ice cream brands competing with the likes of Ben & Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs. And uh, fortunately, an individual at the company responded to my LinkedIn note and what started off as a call simply to learn about Halo Top's strategies for around influencer marketing, product development, market penetration, ultimately led to more of a joint interest and in potentially seeing a full-time opportunity arise. So how did it go from just, I'm interested in how it went from just a conversation into a job offer, which, and it was a complete accident. You just, you just wanted to learn more about the frozen food business. And was it a matter of the person on the other end saw you had a real passion and a real interest and whether it was a work ethic or was asking smart questions. Tell me a little bit about how that came together. Right. So initially, I told her that the purpose of the conversation was that I had an interest in ultimately launching a food business of my own. Um, so you were upfront with her from the you had, and you had no intention of. Uh, right. Yeah. I had <laughs> I had a general idea that I wanted to launch a food business, but I didn't know much beyond that as to what shape or form it would take. Um, and Halo Top was at quite an interesting point in 2018 because they had really grown tremendously in the U.S. and their international growth was just taking off. And somehow randomly, the person I had connected with on LinkedIn worked on Halo Top's international strategy team. And my minor in international relations combined with my major in business administration at USC really sparked an interest in what does it take to understand markets abroad, um, pitch a product that may have been successful in the US and have those successes transfer overseas and to a completely new demographic group. So I thought if Halo Top has done such a good job of succeeding in the US, why not try and actually learn a bit about that success firsthand working in the trenches while also helping the company expand internationally and actually apply some of my passion areas that I had studied during my time at USC. So once you began at Halo Top, you were still continuing to work on Boz Bites on the side. And I'm wondering how you split your time. So you made sure you were taking the most out of your experience at Halo Top and contributing and being a valuable team member and soaking up the learning lessons that there were to learn while you were there and also making sure you kept making progress toward your dream. Definitely. So the great thing about Halo Top is that they never had an office from day one. It was a extremely flexible work arrangement in which um, employees had the opportunity to either work out of their apartments, homes, co-working spaces, and to really work on their own schedule. You didn't have to be online uh, during certain hours of the days. 
Um, as long as you got your work done, they trusted that you were committing yourself to the success of the company, given that it was a relatively lean operation and organization. So I was fortunate enough to work at a company that provided me with that flexibility. And during the early days, Bosbytes wasn't that great of a time commitment, given that we were solely focused on our success at a local farmer's market on a once a week basis. So it was great to be able to go out there, get market feedback, test the product um, on weekends, and then build that foundation of what the actual packaged product would look like and what the process of getting it in front of grocery store buyers would look like down the line. Um, so Halo Top really provided me with a strong foundation and vocabulary of the overall industry so that when I was eventually ready, um, I would have that advantage behind me. Right. And you mentioned that you started at a farmer's market and we live in Los Angeles where you had many options. And I remember you were very intentional about which farmer's market you chose and you did a lot of research beforehand to make that decision. Can you share what went into that decision? Yeah. The great thing about living in Los Angeles is that there's typically a farmer's market in every day of the week. Um, and I kind of had a couple criteria for the farmer's market that I wanted to pick. First, I wanted there to be one that had tremendous amounts of foot traffic so that I could get my product out in front of as many people as possible and get as much feedback on my product as possible. Second, I wanted to ensure that I wasn't really living in a bubble of simply serving this product to individuals that had had pre-established notions of what Persian cuisine is. I really wanted to get this product out there to people that would see the tent saying Boss Bites Crispy Basmati Rice Cups and come up to me and say, what is this? I've never heard of Persian cuisine. I've never heard of Tadig. Uh, explain it to me. And I wanted to see whether people would actually be willing to purchase and try the product without prior knowledge of what Persian cuisine was. Um, and the Brentwood market seemed like a great fit because it takes place on a Sunday, which allows for great foot traffic amongst both family and friends. And second, it's one of the areas that has less of a Persian population than other areas of Los Angeles. So I was really able to get my product out there and in front of people that may not necessarily had much prior familiarity with the cuisine as a whole. So once you get it, or let me backtrack. How do you, once you've decided that you want to be in this farmer's market, what are the steps to actually getting a booth set up? It's a lot of Google searching that we started <laughs> off with. Um, it included... And when you say we, this is you and your mother. Right, yeah. me and my mom. The um, head chef, Nancy. Exactly. <laughs> um, it included figuring out what are the sorts of permits I have to apply for. Um, how do I get a business license? How do I get a health permit from the County of Los Angeles? How do I apply for business insurance? Um, how do I get a designer to design a logo for me that'll actually go on the tent? Um, how do I find a manufacturer to make the tent up to the standards that I'm looking for? How do I get in touch with the farmer's market organizer? So it was a ton of phone calls, a ton of Google searching. And during the process, I learned just walking up and down the farmer's markets throughout Los Angeles and speaking to vendors, how willing people often are to help you. 
when you're new to a space or new to an industry and you just ask them, I'm stuck here, who should I speak to? Um, they understand that they too were at that point in at one stage, um, at one point in their lives. So the incredible thing I've noticed about the startup journey is how often people are willing to help you even though they have nothing to gain from it or any prior relationship with you, for example. That's awesome that there was such a community right. that let you get started. And how long do you say it took you from when you first had the intent of joining the Brentwood Farmers Market to when you got approved? How long was that process? Um, between the process of designing the logo, coming up with the Bosbites name, doing research on the necessary requirements to enter into a farmer's market, the entire process from start to finish probably took around five or six months. And you mentioned that part of that process included coming up with the company's name. Yes. How did you workshop those ideas and ultimately land on a name? Well, fortunately, I was I came across an individual on a freelance website called Upwork that specialized on branding and logo design. And she presented me with an entire questionnaire as to what I wanted the brand to represent, um, literary devices that I'm a fan of, um, Bosbites, both starting with B. I'm a big fan of alliteration, so I thought that was a great way to actually have people remember the name and she presented me with a series of names but I kept turning back to the idea of Boz Bites for a couple of reasons. Um, Boz being similar to the word bazaar which is the Middle Eastern original farmers markets if you will. Um, the outdoor markets that the farmers markets of today kind of symbolize and represent. So I kind of saw Boz as a uh, homage to the Middle Eastern bazaars and where we as a brand got our start, which was at a farmer's market. And secondly, in Farsi, Boz means open. And an incredible aspect about Persian culture as a whole is, from what I've noticed, a constant openness and willingness to share one's home to guests, uh, open one's doors to individuals that you may not have a pre-established relationship with and just welcome them into your house for a cup of tea, a meal. So that hospitality is really something that I wanted to embody in the Boss Bites brand as a whole, as well as open consumers' minds to trying a cuisine with which they may not have had much familiarity. So the Boss Bites name just seemed very apt in encompassing all of those aspects of what I was looking for in a brand. I love that. That's so poetic. Yeah, indeed. Of course, and of course, indeed. you're taking a roomy class right now. So indeed, this is indeed the, the <laughs> learning never stops. <laughs> the poetics. So once you're in the Brentwood Farmers Market, can you do you remember what that first weekend was like? Because you, it's not just the day of the day before you're doing prep too. Yes. So for Boz Bites, we actually prepare all of the food ahead of time, um, take it to the farmer's market frozen and heat it up in a convection oven there, which was an entirely different process of the founding stages as to how do you create a crispy rice cup or tadig, freeze it and have it consistently come out as crispy as you'd like because never before had 
Tadig been made in a manner that allowed one to store it after its preparation, reheat it, and have it come out to the intended crispiness and crunchiness of the product. It was always good fresh at Shabbat dinner. Exactly. And then you had to have it then. And most times that wasn't an issue because people are fighting over right. it anyway. But yes, if you did have any leftovers, it never quite matched up to that original time it came out of the oven. Exactly. And Boss Bites really served two purposes there. Obviously, Tadig is the dish that disappears from the dinner table the second it comes as people are fighting over it. This really allowed each person to have their own individual Tadig bites. So it got rid of inter-family fighting over that last piece of Tadig. And it also allowed you to heat up Tadig whenever you wanted. So rather than having to make an entire pot of basmati rice, just so that you can get that one thin crispy layer of Tadig at the bottom of the pot, this allowed you to just pop your cups in the oven for 20 minutes and have crispy rice on demand. So in terms of what you went through that first weekend, can you tell us about, you know, waking up early, having to get there for the first time, setting up that whole process, hoping people would show up? Yes. So we didn't have a van. Um, so I'd go to my uncle's office the Saturday before the Sunday farmer's market. Uh, me and my mom, she would drive me. I'd get in the van. She would drive her car back home. I would drive the van back home. And we'd use that van essentially to pack up everything that we'd need for the farmer's market, which included tables, tents, convection oven, uh, our generator, our um, electrical extension cords. We'd make sure we were fully stocked. And then Sunday was showtime. Sunday was the big day. I set my alarm for 5 a.m. Um, the farmer's market requires that you're completely set up with your car parked by 6 or 6.30 a.m., even though customers don't start arriving until around 7.30, 8 a.m. And I remember I'd never used a generator before, so I was pretty nervous as to would I have a source of electricity to actually turn on this oven and heat up the rice cups. Um, I had come in with projections of revenue figures that I wanted to hit, numbers of customers that I wanted to get the product in front of, but I think oftentimes you set expectations much higher than are realistic when you're starting a business. You notice that uh, what you thought would be in your head of getting in front of 30 or 40 customers an hour and selling this product to them actually ends up becoming much more difficult when you have five or six other farmer's market vendors trying to get the customer's attention and then you have the added challenge of serving a product with which others don't have much familiarity. So it was a mix of both tremendous excitement and the fact that I was actually getting my product in front of consumers, uh, bringing this vision that I had had in my mind for more than one year to life, plus a little bit of discouragement, realizing that it was going to be a much harder journey of sales and getting this product in front of people as I had originally expected. And I imagine the first weekend, maybe even the first few weekends, you have a lot of support from family and friends because they want to be there when it opens. But then it probably gets a little trickier, right? Then, yeah, then, you, then more of your customers end up becoming 
new customers who are not familiar with you or your product. Absolutely. And it's really on you to engage them. And I remember one of the, you had a couple good strategies that when I walked through the farmer's market, looked at other vendors and kind of took stock of everything around. A couple things that stood out to me were one, you very intentionally put out a tray of crispy rice cups that appeared to be samples. And of course, people walk up to you and ask, is that a sample? And you said no. <laughs> and at that point, people feel like, well, I'm already here. It's kind of rude if I walk away. But a lot of people end up just buying the product because they feel bad or they, they're, they're now intrigued. Right. Or as a sample, they would just take it and walk away, whatever. That was one thing that I thought was interesting. And another thing I thought you did really well was your branding was very clear and your menu was very very easy to read sometimes you pass by some of these vendors and their food smells amazing but i don't really know what they're serving because their menu is a little convoluted but you kept it simple and easy and neat and and then also reeled people in with those what appeared to be samples but really was just a smart hook right can you talk about some of the strategies those two specifically but also any others that you thought about to keep people there and buy the product? Yes, yeah, so common thought at the time was in order for a product really to succeed at farmer's markets, you have to be willing to offer samples and get your product into as many people's hands as possible before they're actually willing to purchase it. But that was a bit difficult when it came to Boz Bites because the process of actually making these individual crispy rice cups by hand was an incredibly time intensive process. So for us to actually just give away these rice cups would have been impossible because we had to make enough to offer samples to each customer that passed by, plus make enough to actually sell to customers when they were interested. And at the time we just didn't have the capacity to make that many rice cups. So I thought, why not sacrifice 10 or 20 rice cups, place them on a plate so that people can actually visualize what the product looks like. Because a lot of people read crispy basmati rice cups, but they had no real idea of what that actually looked like. And once they did see that on a plate, they were really intrigued because it was a product that they hadn't really seen before. And that was really what reeled them in and what allowed me to initiate a conversation about Persian cuisine in general and Tadig in particular and what ultimately led to a lot of customer conversions. So that was one strategy in which we deviated from common thought as to what's necessary for a farmer's market vendor to do well at a farmer's market. The second one that you mentioned, um, our, our menu was definitely one of the features that I prioritized because not only were we selling a new product with which we knew many wouldn't have familiarity with, but on top of that, if the menu were con was confusing, that would likely dissuade a lot of customers from even approaching us in the first place. So I actually looked to Halotop um, as a learning opportunity in that sense, because Halotop too had recently opened a couple of scoop shops in the LA area and I thought that they did a good job of using their menu as a customer education tool because one of Halotop's key attributes is the fact that they're a low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein ice cream. But how do you really 
communicate those attributes using a menu. And that was one of the menus that I really look to to draw inspiration from to, in order to make my menu as succinct and um, enticing as possible. In terms of other marketing strategies that we pursued to sustain our sales after that initial rush of friends and family support, I remember that I'd make little postcards that would say, stop by the Boss Bites booth this weekend, um, tag your plate of Boss Bites on your Instagram story, and come back the next week for your free plate of Boss Bites. And I would essentially go to local coffee shops near the Brentwood Farmer's Market on weekdays and pass them out to customers or just leave them uh, where the milk and creamer was at a couple of coffee shops in the Brentwood area. Um, it, it was just a matter of doing whatever you could to get customers to come and try the product. And an exciting thing that I did notice after some time was that we actually had a core group of customers that were repeat purchasers that would come back week after weekend. For any entrepreneur, that's one of the greatest signs that you could see. Um, people becoming repeat purchasers of your product is an incredible feeling. Yeah, and, and I think I should probably back up a bit and, and take, a, take a second to appreciate how far the product had to even come until you could get to a point where it could be at a farmer's market. Because when you first had that set of uh, original Boss Bites, if I remember... It didn't turn out as you had hoped. It kind of crumbled a bit and you had to go back to the drawing board. And did you have the product to the extent you wanted it ready by the time you had your first farmer's market date? Or do you, did you feel like it's good enough, but I'm going to have to tinker with it throughout? Our biggest issue with the product leading up to the farmer's market was how do we heat it up in a short enough period of time so as not to make the customer wait very long at the farmer's market, but still have the crispiness of the product come out to our desired quality and standards. And that's where we really messed around with a lot of factors, including temperature, um, time in oven, um, a ton of last minute experiments and tests before we were pretty confident that we could go into the farmer's market and consistently serve a product that customers would be happy with. But I remember that even going into the farmer's market, a lot of people doubted how can you freeze Tadig, reheat it, and have it come out as crispy as possible. And even at the farmer's market itself, there were people who refused to believe that what we were serving them were Tadig cups that had been heated up after they had previously been frozen. So to realize and see that people assumed that this was a product that we were making on the spot as opposed to a product that we had made a couple days in advance and frozen was what gave us additional confidence that there was a route to eventually get this product into grocery stores and have it be a frozen product that people can eventually just heat up at home for themselves. So it seems like the getting the shape of the rice cup was kind of the easiest part, right? You just put it in the tray like a muffin tray. And then the harder part was the science of how long do we keep it in the oven. And at the farmer's market, when you were selling rice cups to take home, at that point, were you just selling the rice cups or were you selling it with the stews too? We would sell the rice cups and stews 
um, heated up and in a little to-go container that people could just take home. And at that point, had you already figured out how to get it so that the rice and the stews would be in the oven for the same amount of time? No, not at all. That was a five-month process after we had finished our last farmer's market. And uh, that's when we officially kicked off the process of, okay, we have a product that we can heat up and serve to customers on site. How do we now create a product that customers can heat up on their own and have it come out as good or even better than what we were serving to them at the farmer's market? Yeah. And how did you know that you had enough information from the farmer's market to move on to the next phase? You you never really know that you have enough information, but from the interactions that I had had with customers, I realized that there was a general excitement around the product and the brand. And we had many customers asking us whether we were available in grocery stores, whether we had a restaurant. So there was a general interest in purchasing this product beyond just the Sunday farmer's markets. And some of the customers were even nice enough to provide us with the phone number of the manager at their local grocery store in which they thought Boss Bites would be a great fit to have the product. And that's really how we actually ended up getting in touch with the first grocery store with which we entered, which was Vicente Foods in Brentwood. So it seems like it's a series of kind of happy accidents, but that are the residue of hard work. And where, for example, when you got to Halo Top, when you got the job offer, that was an accident, but that came from you taking initiative and you doing your homework and seeing that they were a leader in the field that you're hoping to succeed in. And so you have that happy accident and it gets to this other happy accident where now you end up in Vicente Foods was the first grocer, right? That's right. So from the moment you ended at the Brentwood Farmer's Market, how long did it take to then get into Vicente Foods? That was a six-month process. And what was involved to get into the that grocery store beyond just making the phone call? So we had to essentially figure out what the entire customer experience and user experience would look like from the moment they purchased our product at a grocery store to the moment they served it for their guests. So the way I kind of broke it down was what at the grocery store is it going to be that drives a customer to pick up this box from a freezer and put it in their grocery cart when I won't be there on a daily basis to actually talk about what the product is, talk about what Persian cuisine is like I was at the farmer's market. I would really need the packaging to do all of the work that I was previously doing at the farmer's market myself. So going back to the consumer feedback I had received at the farmer's market, one of the buzzwords that really got customers excited about the product was crispy basmati rice cups. They liked the idea of crispy rice and the fact that it was basmati made it seem like even that much better of an experience. So we made the determination that while Persian food was in the process of gaining more and more recognition in mainstream culture, it wasn't to the point that it would make sense to have the word 
Tadig front and center on our packaging. So we made the call that crispy basmati rice cups would be really the buzzword on the front of our packaging that we'd use to entice a customer walking down the frozen food aisle to spend a couple extra seconds looking at our package and hopefully open the freezer door and put that package in their cart. And from there, it was a matter of, okay, in addition to crispy basmati rice cups, what else do we really need? One factor was incredible product photography and imagery that would make the product look as appetizing as possible. The second was balancing, okay, in addition to having that general crispy basmati rice cups language on there, to what extent do you show that the product is a Persian product? Because that was one of our overall brand's missions, educating customers about Persian cuisine. So that's where we decided to have a sub-descriptor under the crispy basmati rice cups that would describe that this product is a Persian Tadig snack bite that was topped with one of three different vegetarian Persian stews. And on the back of the packaging, we'd work on an image of the two co-founders, myself and my mom, as well as a little brand story explaining who we are, what we represent, and what our overall mission was. So the outer packaging was one element. The inner packaging was a whole other element as to what tray do you use? What do you do given that the product can't really be microwaved and the customer is going to have to place it in the oven? What's the maximum amount of time that a customer would be willing to wait for their frozen meal to be heated up in the oven? How do you get the rice cups and stew to heat up in the exact same amount of time so as to make the heating process as simple for the customer as possible? And that process was a great, great amount of trial and error um, until we ultimately were able to achieve it, which was an incredible day. I remember you had to talk to a food scientist, right, to f- help figure out how long it would take, right? Right. The one of one of the biggest struggles that we were facing was it would, for example, only take the rice cups fifteen minutes to heat up, but it would take the stew twenty minutes to defrost and heat up. But in those extra five minutes, if we had just left the oven in there the rice cups would really lose some of their inner chewiness. That was one of the defining attributes of the product. So it was a matter of what do we do in terms of exposing maybe more surface area of the stew so that it's getting more heat penetrated into it to allow it to defrost faster. And these were things that I had absolutely no experience with. So it was a matter of, again, reaching out to individuals on LinkedIn, other frozen food entrepreneurs, asking them to put me in touch with contacts that they had leaned on during their process of launching a product in market. And again, fortunately, people were willing to offer a helping hand throughout that process. It's it's very cool that there were people who were willing to pay it forward. And I think it's it's awesome that they were there. And it's also awesome that you had very specific asks. I think it's one thing when you ask someone just help, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. And uh, but I think you were approaching them with very specific questions, and they were able to give you very specific answers. And that comes from different things. And I think one of the things that it came from was I remember you spent time walking down, up and down the frozen food aisle of different grocery stores, right? And part of how you got to 
the packaging design, I remember, was we would just talk about different products that you thought did something well or weren't doing something well to engage customers. How do you stand out? Because it's pretty competitive in the frozen food aisle. Right. So when you were walking up and down the aisle, what were some of the things you were looking for to to help you and inform your next steps as you were figuring out your packaging? Uh, it was a ton of different elements. Um, one thing that consistently caught my eye was food photography. I think that's always something that really stands out as you're walking down the frozen food section. Um, you need to allow customers to make that split second decision. And oftentimes it's seeing a picture of the product that will allow them to do that. Um, and is that why you, in your choice to feature an image on the packaging, you actually went with an image where the Bosbites are on top of a wooden tray, right? Right. And I remember when we were talking about that, we both liked that image because it showed how you, it showed the customer, most of whom probably aren't familiar with the product, how they can deliver the product. Exactly. Right? It gave them a sense that this would be a perfect appetizer for the next time their friends and families are over. Um, it gives them a sense of how to present the product and make it look visually appealing and quite appetizing. And so food photography, and I remember you mentioning that when you were doing a photo shoot for Boz Bites, food photography is its own thing. It's not just like, you can't just hire a friend who's good with a camera. Right. There's more to it, right? Yeah, there are photographers that specialize in the art of capturing food using the best lights, the best shadow work, whatever will ultimately get your product to look as appealing as possible in front of a consumer. One of the people that, you collabor that you've been collaborating with, who you know very well was not a freelancer, is your mom, who's the head chef. What has it been like working with your mom? Most people don't have that experience. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> very, very lucky to have a mom that supported me in my desire to leave my past corporate job and pursue this venture. Um, the reason I wanted to work with my mom was because whenever we had guests over at our house, she would typically serve a traditional Persian dish. And I'd consistently hear from them that nobody makes Persian food the way your mom makes Persian food. Um, and I obviously could affirm and attest to that because I was raised eating many of these dishes and I always left the dinner table extremely satisfied. So I realized how fortunate and lucky I was to have a mom that really had a special talent and skill in the kitchen for making some of these uh, traditional Persian dishes. So when I approached her about the idea, I think she was originally hesitant. She may not have wanted to do cooking more than just for family or guests sake. I don't think she ever envisioned going into the business of Persian food. There have definitely been moments in which the partnership has been difficult. And we obviously don't always share the same view when it comes to marketing strategies, for example, or growth path, what the next avenue for growth of the overall brand should be. But it helps having someone to bounce ideas off of and to work with someone who's so dedicated to their craft of making a product that consumers will consistently be happy with.
And it's one thing to, you know, do it every weekend at a farmer's market and have to drop by the commercial kitchen beforehand here and there. But it's another thing now that it's at a point where it's a legit company. And you also, we forgot to mention, you've been taking online orders this entire time. You've been shipping nationwide, right? Right. Yeah. We've, we've had to learn how do you ensure that the product still gets there in uh, good enough quality, uh, even if the customer lives in New York, for example. Yeah. So how do you do that? Uh, we tested a couple of different insulated box options, pack it with enough ice packs and um, ship it two days to ensure that it gets there frozen and uh, that the customer receives a product that they're satisfied with and will heat up perfectly just as though they were purchasing it at a grocery store. Did you test it first with family or friends you have on the east coast or did you just send it and hope, hope it turned out okay no i would uh, <laughs> I, I initially tested it by um placing a tray of the boss bites in an insulated box um packing it with ice packs and just leaving it there for two days uh reenacting what it would be like to receive the package two days later and heating it up to ensure that the product still came out as good as i wanted it to consistently come out Awesome. So you convince your mom to be with you every step of the way. And as you start a company, there's a lot of negotiation and paperwork involved. Did you have to negotiate deal terms with your mom? Um, we Obviously, she has an equity stake in the company, <laughs> given how instrumental she's been to its success and how much work will uh there there still is a head um but we never came to a formal documentation as to what that equity split would look like um i think when it comes to a mother-son relationship it's ultimately based on a foundation of trust and um that's the current relationship that we have right now you've both made it work so beautifully and now that you're in grocery stores what are some of the measures you're taking to grow from here? I know you're talking to larger grocery chains in Southern California. And so I know you every Friday for the past several Fridays, you've been uh, offering to deliver Bosby's free delivery that's right. in L.A. I'm a personal Instacart <laughs> courier. And you found that's worth it for you. You found it's, it's helped. Yes. Um, even i definitely think it has been a helpful tool in getting the product out in front of people because especially people our age who are 24 25 years old they may not have the time to stop at a grocery store on a consistent basis and it may just slip their mind that boss bites would be a perfect option after they come home from work as a meal to pop in the oven heat up and enjoy and providing that constant reminder on a weekly basis that this product is available to you. All you have to do is DM or text us and we will gladly deliver it to your door without any sort of delivery fee is something that we're willing to do. And it allows us to ensure that sales at these three grocery stores during the initial critical periods of launch uh, continue to meet expectations for both ourselves and the grocery store buyer. I think it's so special that the brand, like Persian culture, like the Persian culture it's trying to share with people is hospitable. Boss Bites as a brand is also hospitable. And not just with the delivery, but 
even in your uh, even in your social media, it's a very warm, friendly brand. Right. Can you and talk about that? One of the marketing campaigns that we actually did in the month of October was a cooking class giveaway in which customers that purchased a box of Boz Bites and posted an image of that purchase on their social media story would become eligible for the opportunity for a cooking lesson with our head chef, Nancy. And I think that was just another means of hopefully disseminating the incredible nature of Persian cuisine and what it is to prepare a traditional Persian dish from scratch. Um, and I think when it comes to boss bites in particular, just given the hurdle that people have to overcome to try a product with which they may not have the greatest amount of familiarity with, as a brand, you kind of have to go that extra step um, to decrease whatever sort of hesitation or timidness it may be to trying that brand and holding their hand and being willing to explain this is what this stew is going to taste like this is what this stew is going to taste like if it's your first time having persian cuisine we'd recommend you'd go with this one for example if you have a kid we'd recommend you go with the palm boz it's just a matter of really getting to know our customers on an individual basis and ensuring that the boz bites experience is an experience that proudly represents who we are as a brand and i forgot to mention you've been doing samples too at at the markets so the hospitality is boundless in this brand yes (laughs) there's that steve jobs quote you can only connect the dots looking backward not looking forward and i think that's so true and uh man it's been it's been so exciting getting to uh getting to chat about the journey it's it's such an exciting journey and there's so much more ahead thank you for having us yeah Um, of We're course. definitely excited for what the future of Boss Bites entails. The way we see it, walking down any grocery store's frozen food aisle today, you've got your standard Indian options, your Mexican options, but Persian food still has not gained its fair share of shelf space. And we hopefully imagine a world in which Persian food is as notorious and well-known as every other ethnic cuisine, and it has its own spot on the shelf of every frozen food section of every grocery store that you walk down. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And so we'll just wrap up with a few fun questions. Great. Great. So what's the last thing that made you laugh? So as you mentioned in the interview, I'm currently taking a roomy poetry class And the desire to take that class came out of just a interest in pursuing opportunities for self-growth and self-enlightenment and really putting myself in situations where I have the opportunity to meet new people and continue to develop some of the analytical skills that I had really enjoyed developing during my time at USC. And one of the poems that we read this past week started with the line where do you come from and when the instructor first read that line we went around the class explaining where we thought we come from from a fundamental point and just hearing the diverse answers the thought in which 
people put as to what is their purpose in life, where did they come from, where are they going, that really put a smile on my face realizing how many diverse points of view there are in this world and how incredible it is to share a learning experience with individuals that I didn't know three months ago, for example. That's awesome. What's the best gift you've ever received? The best gift that I've ever received? That's a good question. Um, I think that for a recent birthday of mine, my friend got me tickets to go to a Price is Right taping. Um, And while the tickets were free, it was an incredible, incredible, incredible gift because I actually made it onto the show recently (laughs) what did you what did you win uh i had the opportunity to win a trip to peru but i overguessed the price of some trash bags which resulted in me actually not winning my game but (laughs) the energy of the studio audience and the energy of being on that stage was an experience that i'll never forget that's awesome man and what's a place you hope to visit soon hmm I am a big fan of nature and hiking excursions. I'm not sure if there's a particular place that comes in mind, but I'm always open for recommendations as to the best hikes or weekend getaways that really let you connect with nature and uh, explore the outdoors. Very nice. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Ooh, that's a tough question. The awesome part about working at Halo Top actually was that we got to try a lot of their flavors before they launched into market. So a little side job of mine was unofficial ice cream taste tester. Um, As a kid growing up, mint and chip was always number one for me. But I've recently come to love Dulce de Leche and a little peppermint bark as a seasonal flavor during the winter. And uh, lastly, we always ask our guests, what's your jam? We're going to make a Spotify playlist where we include all our guest song recs. So Jordan Ellis, what's your jam? One artist that can always get me up and dancing is Rihanna. And it's really, really tough to pick a favorite when it comes to Rihanna, given her masterful work. But I would probably go with Ponde Replay by Rihanna's. That's a throwback. My oh my goodness. Yes. Early 2000s. It's one that always hits the spot. I dig it. I dig it. Well, thank you so much. This was such an exciting conversation to have. Been it's quite the process, but we're lucky yes. to have had you every step of the way from the first bad boss bite that I can't even imagine <laughs> eating now to a product that we're extremely, extremely proud of. Well, Looking forward to many mo- sharing many more Boz Bites together. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Thank Appreciate you, it. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about Jordan's journey or would like to purchase some delicious Boz Bites to try for yourself, check out bozbites.com. That's spelled B-A-A-Z-B-I-T-E-S.com. And follow the brand on Instagram at bozbites. If you're interested in following the pod, you can check us out on Instagram at H-D-Y-D-Pod. Thanks for listening.